Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to another episode of New Books in Islamic Studies. I'm your host, Elliot Bazzano. For every program, we choose a new and exciting book and chat with the author. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Michael Burkle, professor of religion at Earlham College, about his exciting edited volume, Quran in Conversation, published by Baylor University Press in 2014. Quran in Conversation challenges the reader to think deeply about the Quran. The book will likely leave the reader with many answers, but also many questions. By drawing on academic scholars, imams, lawyers, and activists, this edited volume presents a series of compelling, masterfully written, digestible, and personal accounts of the Quran. It addresses tough questions about violence, gender, interfaith relations, and authority, but not in an apologetic manner. The authors make clear that the Qur'an is not merely an old text, but a living text, teeming with evolving interpretations and debates. Because all the writers are based in the United States, the text seamlessly incorporates discussions of the Qur'an with contemporary issues in American culture. It thus becomes clear that the Qur'an is an American text, as well as an Arabic text and a Muslim text. The chapters are arranged thematically, and one could reasonably read them sequentially or not, depending on the purpose. The text, therefore, offers a range of pedagogical functions and is sure to benefit classroom use, especially because of its readable and erudite prose. Burkle has set a high bar for future edited volumes that follow models anything like Quran and Conversation. I hope you enjoy the interview, and without further ado, here is my conversation with Professor Michael Burkle. Good morning, Professor Burkle. Thank you so much for joining us today uh, to talk about your book, Quran in Conversation. And I was hoping we could first start by talking about your educational background. So where did you go to school? Who are some influential mentors? And how did you get interested in the topic that led to this edited volume? Great. Well, thank you. It's a pleasure to be your guest. Uh, So thank you for inviting me. Uh, As far as my educational background, I think the first thing to say is that I'm not trained as a scholar of Islam. And we can say more about that as as our conversation unfolds. Um, My background is actually in the history of Christianity. I did my doctorate at uh, Harvard University and some important um, people in my intellectual development would be uh, Margaret Miles, who was there at the time, um, uh, George uh, Hunston Williams, who was still alive and teaching at that point, and uh, across the street at the um, Western School of Theology. I also studied with Professor Brian Daly, a very excellent scholar of ancient Christianity. So that's where I began. Uh, However, I teach at a small liberal arts college, and at a small college, one can end up teaching widely. 
and uh, uh, the focus of my as I said, the focus of my usual research is not writing about Islam. But some years ago, the religion department here at Earlham College uh, agreed among ourselves that, especially in these times, we needed to do more teaching about Islam. Uh, to me, as a teacher, teaching is about truth-seeking and, and truth-telling. And I also believe that teaching can be a, a kind of peacemaking. And... As far as uh, truth-telling, I the, the full truth is not being told about Islam's and, and about about excuse me about Islam and about Muslims uh, generally in our media. There are misunderstandings that abound, and there are intentional misrepresentations. So I agreed to read a lot of books to talk to some genuine scholars of Islam, people trained in that field, I learned uh, some Quranic Arabic in order to be prepared to teach students about Islam. And because I teach about religions that are not my own, with respect and sympathy, uh, often Muslim students will take courses with me. Their knowledge of Islam, of course, is very deep and very personal, but it may not be very wide. Uh, and Islam is, of course, very much a global faith. Well, some of these Muslim students came to me a while back and said, we think you should write something about Islam. And I thanked them for their spirit of generosity in saying this, but I also reminded them that I was not a trained scholar of Islam. I hardly felt qualified to do such a thing. And they replied, well, you, you explain us well, and we need sympathetic outsiders who understand us and can help others to understand us. We don't always seem to be completely effective in doing it from within the community. So I sat with that, with that generous request, and it dawned on me that even though I was still not uh, someone with a doctoral uh, degree in the study of Islam, I could go and meet people who are scholars of Islam. And then, uh, and, and that's really how this how this book began. Um, I suppose some people might, uh, some people could criticize this book in that the person who put it all together was not a trained scholar of Islam. But what I did was to go and talk to my Muslim neighbors, and in one sense, the goal, one goal of this book is to inspire readers to go and do the same. They don't have to be trained scholars of Islam to go meet their neighbors and talk about their faith. Yeah, and I think anyone who looks through the book would be hard-pressed to challenge the erudition that went into putting it together and the, the diversity of uh, pers perspectives that contributed the chapters. And so in that regard, how did you go about finding the scholars that you found? Because especially their... They're academic, non-academic, CIV imams, lawyers. What, did that, what was that process like, finding these different kinds of people to contribute to the book? Well, that in itself was wonderful exploration. I had been reading uh, about Islam for, for some years, and so I knew who were some leading scholars. And uh, so I, I began there, but then I continued to read widely my... and. And as I got to know people, uh, religious leaders and scholars within the Muslim community, uh, some of them volunteered names. Oh, you should talk to so-and-so. Um, 
uh, I was hoping that the volume would reflect the broad spectrum that is Islam in North America. Um, close to half the speakers uh, in the in the book are women. There are people from uh, the Sunni tradition and and the Shiite tradition. Uh, some of my conversation partners or my Muslim teachers, as I might call them in, in this book, some of them uh, openly identify as Sufi. Uh, there are different racial and ethnic heritages that are included here, people of Mid- Middle Eastern background, people of South Asian heritage, particularly India or Pakistan. Uh, there are African-American voices. There are uh, uh, scholars who are are converts to Islam, uh, people of European ancestry. And so I was hoping that the book would have the richness that, that uh, in some ways gives a sense of how, how broad and diverse the Muslim community in North America is. Yeah, and uh, you definitely encapsulate that very, very well. And so in terms of Figuring out exactly what each contributor would write about. Could you talk a little bit about the process for that? Was it something you suggested, something they um, proposed to you, a combination of the two? Well, I would say that the um, uh, – I really only had one question. Uh, this you, you might describe this as a, as a, as a project in, in listening – uh, at least on, on, on my end. Listening for me is at the heart of both teaching and learning, and that's the approach I took. Um, I took listening as the center of my task in the, in the, uh, in the work that resulted in this book. Um, and as the project continued, that quality of listening on my part was mentioned by my conversation partners. But I... Um, uh, I really, as I said, only had one question. Would you please choose a passage from the Quran that means something to you and talk, to, talk with me about it? Um, before I began, I, I uh, had the idea, well, if they don't talk about topic A, B, and C, I will bring that up. But I had the good sense to abandon that idea before these interviews started because – I thought if a topic is important within the community, then it will arise in our conversations rather than be imposed by an outsider. And so um, the, so there are some topics I hope would, would come forth, uh, topics that people uh, are misinformed or incompletely informed about Islam uh, from our media. Uh, for example, uh, is, uh, Muslim understandings of the role of women, uh, Muslim understandings of their relationship to non-Muslims, uh, what is the... Uh, meaning of jihad, what is the role of violence uh, within uh, Islamic ethics. Those were things that I would, I hoped would be mentioned, and in fact they were, but they were mentioned because they came from the speakers themselves rather than being brought into the conversation by me. Yeah, and I, I'd like to talk to you about this uh, l- later on, how the book sort of functions pedagogically in that sense in terms of its broad thematic scope. Like you said, there's so many of these hot button issues that it covers, but they come up organically in response to these different uh, passages. So it's clear that when people are reading the text, 
there's lots of things going on in their mind. And so you mentioned that you had these conversations with the authors, and you know that's the title of the book, Quran in Conversation. So could you say a little bit more about about the topic, uh, or excuse me, about the title and how how the Quran in Conversation says something deep and meaningful about the project? <clears throat> Great question. The um, this book began in conversations, and I hope that it will inspire conversations among readers or inspire readers who are non-Muslim to have conversations with their Muslim neighbors uh, that they can can go and meet. But um, I think, well, one of my uh, speakers in the book uh, described the Quran itself as a conversation. It is a conversation uh, between God and the Prophet Muhammad. It is also a conversation in that there has been a long discussion from the very earliest times of Islam as to the meaning of, of the verses of the Quran. And so part of the experience for, for me was the experience of feeling invited into this, this, this discourse, this conversation that's been going on for 1,400 years. Uh, about what uh, these words mean, because uh, scriptural words have particular kinds of power, and those po- and, and that power um, comes to life in different ways at different times and historical circumstances within the communities for whom uh, this book is holy and authoritative. So, this idea of reading scripture and scripture or the Quran as a conversation how how exclusive do you think this is to reading the Quran versus other types of scripture as well hmm boy great question I love reading holy texts and I love teaching uh, scriptures in uh, from various traditions in my in my work as a as a teacher. I teach Hebrew scriptures. I have taught the New Testament. I teach Quran. I teach other other uh, uh, foundational texts of other religious communities. And scriptures come alive within communities, even as they give life to communities. Um, and so there's this. I find this very powerful dynamic. It comes to life uh, because of the kinds of reflection people bring to it, the kind of conversation they have about it within their community. And at the same time, the the text itself uh, lends vitality to the community. And it was a privilege to be present to that dynamic because to to uh, engage in that as a member of a religious community, I think requires great self-honesty uh, as a guest in that community uh, to witness that uh, uh, for me it was both intellectually fascinating as well as <clears throat> as well as uh, spiritually enriching to see how that happens uh, scriptures I think are best read uh, with companions as they have been for centuries and centuries. There are endless interpretations to the Qur'an, and I wanted to learn how this sacred text comes alive at this particular moment, in this particular place. Uh, the, the Qur'an is, is not well known by 
by non-Muslims. And um, I, many, I think, would find reading the, the Quran unaccompanied uh, to be a difficult, uh, a difficult task. Uh, as you know, it's not arranged chronologically. It's not arranged uh, topically. And so it is best to approach uh, the Quran with, with, um, w- with someone who has been reading it, who has been in that community of readers uh, that, has, that has existed, as I said, for centuries and centuries. Um, I think some of, those, some of those questions of interpretation of the Quran are, how shall I say, um, matters among or, or between and among Muslims themselves. Uh, we mentioned some of them, the rights of women, the nature of jihad, the place of violence, attitudes toward non-Muslims. But these are, they're, they're similar questions, I think, in many religious communities. Uh, perhaps the way to talk about the Quran is different because traditional Islamic concept of revelation uh, is somewhat different from that from many Christians and Jews, for example. And so there is a... Uh, but, but I think there are, there, are, there are similar dynamics, and certainly one of them is a matter, at least for the interpreter within the community, a matter of discernment. How to distinguish, um, if, you, if you believe there is a dis- distinction to be made, how to distinguish between uh, verses or a message that is a response to the particularities of the 7th century when the Qur'an was revealed, uh, as, opposed from, uh, as opposed to what are the enduring principles uh, of the Qur'an. Uh, this, this process of discernment, however, itself is not so unique. I think Christians have been do- are doing this with their sacred texts. Jews are doing this with their holy scripture. Right, so there's there's the issue of hermeneutics and how the Quran is distinct ontologically from other kinds of texts, and the the arrangement of it. It's not chronological necessarily. It doesn't have storytelling. So these are certainly challenges that Muslims have faced over the years, right? And you mentioned that you know there's certain types of stereotypes people have about Islam and Muslims in the Quran today, and I think a lot of religious studies scholars, Islamic studies scholars, this is, you know, this is so obvious, it's part of their everyday life and teaching about the subject. For, for some of our listeners that might not be as aware of this challenge, could, could you say a little bit about how our sociopolitical context with the internet and various types of, types of media adds to this challenge of being able to think about the Qur'an in a fair manner? Well, certainly, um, <clears throat> Muslims are, on the whole, are, are, tend to be portrayed very negatively in our media. Uh, I don't know, I haven't seen a, the, the most recent numbers, but I remember that there was a, a study several years back that looked at, for example, images of Muslims in the media, uh, in, in North America, and 97% of them at that time were negative. 97% of them were extremist. And so what does that suggest uh, to someone for whom that's their only source of information? Well, they would think that, well, 
I suppose 97% of Muslims must be extremist, which is, of course, uh, completely wrong. Uh, and so the, there is a challenge um, of uh, perceptions uh, through the media. There is the challenge of uh, the conflicts and wars that have been – that our country has been engaged in uh, for the last uh, uh, nearly decade and a half now. And um, and how that predisposes people. Uh, there are well, I haven't seen this movie, but there's recently uh, released film uh, about a um, a sniper. Uh, <clears throat> and what I have been told by people who have seen the film is that the even if it's not the primary intentional message of the film. For the protagonist in this in this movie, um, I think it takes place in in, in Iraq. Uh, potentially, every Muslim is is an enemy. Every Muslim can 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 kill you, and that's the that's the image. Uh, if you see the film through the eyes of the protagonist, because that's where the the, the the way the sympathies are uh, are are encouraged by the filmmaking, um, you could leave that film thinking every every Muslim could be dangerous to me, even even uh, even children, even uh, uh, mothers carrying infants. They might have bombs with them because apparently that's that's part of the film. So this is part of what what we what we what we live with, and um, my hope is that the the voices that have been gathered in this volume might show an alternative understanding of of Islam in, in two ways. First, most of the uh, Muslims we hear about in the news are extremists and from far away. I wanted people in, in in this country to know who were uh, – mainstream is a complicated word, but I'll use that for the moment. Who are the mainstream Muslims who are the overwhelming majority and uh, who are the Muslims who – what are the Muslims like who live here? How, what do they think? How do they feel? What are their uh, – what is their ethical stance toward living in this society and being part of this uh, – Project of creating uh, uh, creating the United States of America at this moment in history. Right. So it's not just reading the news, but also watching movies and you know seeing images. So this stuff is really uh, trapped in our mind. It's hard to you know move move beyond these types of of things. So violence you mentioned is one of these hot button issues, and since you also teach at a Quaker-affiliated institution. Could you say something about how the authors in the volume explore the theme of violence and how that relates to concerns that you, your colleagues, your students might have in your institutional context particularly? Sure. Um, I I teach at a Quaker college. Uh, I myself am a member of the Religious Society of Friends, the the formal name of that of that group, known better by their nickname, the Quakers. Um, I share a concern for uh, promoting uh, peace, uh, peaceful understanding, and and nonviolent interaction in the world. So clearly, that's part of of who I am, and that and and part of 
what in, what motivated me to to get to know my Muslim neighbors. Uh, a number of people in the book spoke very directly to questions of violence and to questions of what is the what is the meaning of the term jihad, which you would know as a as a Muslim scholar doesn't doesn't uh, fundamentally mean um, uh, to engage in violent behavior, but rather to exert oneself uh, to make a struggle to in, to engage uh, in an effort. Uh, one of my uh, conversation partners in the book. Um, uh, Professor Jamal uh, uh, Badawi uh, spoke particularly about uh, a verse that is easily misunderstood both within and beyond the Muslim community. Um, and while when I when I spoke with him, it, it felt that in a sense two things were were going on. And uh, one was clearly he was explaining in a very generous and thoughtful way to me as an outsider how he understands uh, these verses. Uh, but at the same time, I felt that he was engaged in an, in an uh, intra-Muslim dialogue, uh, feeling that in some ways uh, the conversation about this has about these matters have been uh, have been hijacked by by extremists, and he wanted to show a very traditional way of interpreting the Quran that if you're a, if you you yourselves are you yourself are, are a traditional muslim you can't argue with and so he spoke with me how uh this this verse uh wherever you meet the um uh, you, the infidels slay them. Well, first of all, the the word infidel there is never used to refer to to uh, Christians and or, or, or to Muslims, to excuse me to, to Christians or to Jews in the Quran. Uh, there are uh, verses that are uh, critical of of Jews and Muslims, but in, excuse me, Jews and Christians in the Quran. But for the most part. Uh, they are spoken of very positively with the honorific title, the people of the book. And so uh, if it says uh, uh, slay the infidels by the term, by the use of the term infidels, or it really refers to 7th century Arabian polytheists. And, uh, and as he pointed out, they're all dead now. Uh, and, and not even all of them, but it was to a particular subset of them who had betrayed a, a, a peace treaty with the Muslim community. And therefore, there were people who were engaging in acts that, as he put it, today would be considered um, war crimes. And so, um, and so, first of all, the verse itself is uh, limited to a very... Uh, a, a very tiny population and um, a very tiny population that in fact no longer historically exists. And uh, <clears throat> so he was very eager to point out that even though this this verse can be misinterpreted and has been abused both by uh, some Muslim extremists as well as by uh, non-Muslims who want to portray uh, all Muslims as extremists. Uh, the 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 Quran itself, as he pointed out, is to, is to be in you. When you find a verse that seems to be in conflict with much of the rest of the message of the Quran, which he said is fundamentally about mercy, fundamentally about human justice, 
fundamentally about an effort to live in harmony with the divine and with other human beings. When you find a verse that seems to be in, in conflict with that, he said you interpret the few in light of the many. That's a traditional phrase uh, among those who practice um, traditional Quranic interpretation, tafsir. Uh, so you interpret the, the few in light of the many. You, you, you interpret a verse like this in terms of the overwhelming message of the Quran, which is about mercy uh, 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 God's mercy toward us and therefore our emulating divine mercy in our experiences with one another um, to create a just and humane uh, uh, society. Another uh, scholar with whom I spoke uh, was Fazil Khan, uh, by day a, 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 a civil rights attorney, but his, um, his other vocation is, is very much to spread a... Uh, uh, I'm trying to look for the right adjective here. Uh, uh, a, a, a generous and mercy-laden understanding of Islam, uh, chiefly within the Muslim community. He goes out and, and meets with people. Uh, he doesn't just meet with you know uh, progressive uh, college professors like me and say, this is the message of the Quran. He goes to Chechnya. He goes to places like um, uh, Mindanao in the Philippines. He goes to, uh, I don't know if he's been to Yemen, but he's been to other places where there have been uh, particular conflicts uh, uh, within the Muslim community. And he, uh, his message is that, yes, the Quran speaks of uh, jihad, but the attacks against Islam today are... Not, uh, are not so much by the sword, but rather by the pen. That is, if one is, and so the response should be a jihad by the pen. That is, uh, uh, a reasoned, intellectual, life-promoting, life-giving, thoughtful response to the um, to the needs of the world today. And so for him, that's the nature of what jihad is. It's, it's showing and both explaining and showing the fundamentally merciful nature of, of, the, of the ideals of Islam. I think what you just described is one of the real strengths of the book that it can at once talk about traditional historical kinds of interpretations and contextualization and also keep in mind that people have these contemporary, real-life lived experiences that help them understand what the text means. And, you know, at a certain level, these are, these are very modern questions that, you know, we weren't alive 1,400 years ago, so we're going to have different kinds of experiences. But there's still this kind of continuity, and I think the authors really are, articulate that well. <laughs> Yes, it was an extraordinary privilege to be in their company uh, when they when they when they met with me because uh, these are people who are the intellectual giants of, of Islam in North America. Uh, so many of them uh, uh, I, I had the opportunity to meet with, and uh, it, as I said, it was just extraordinary to be with them because as I as I brought um, a sympathetic listening to this. To these conversations, um, 
they a good number of them opened beyond just academic exchange, but people shared very personally about uh, the meaning of the Quran, the meaning of their own faith, and it was just uh, very memorable to be to be in their company. And I, I guess I would also say that it's uh, one thing I learned in the course of this project was that we live in a time of great intellectual and spiritual vitality among Muslims uh, in the United States. I think we could say on the one hand, given the political realities of this time that we spoke about earlier, uh, it's not easy to be a Muslim in the United States. Just try going through airport security. Uh, One of my conversation partners in the book, who is an African-American Muslim, put it this way, uh, I drive black, but I fly Muslim. Uh, In other words, you're in trouble wherever you go. Uh, so it's it's difficult. But on the other hand, it's a very exciting time to be a Muslim intellectual at this moment in uh, uh, in uh, in the U.S. I can make a maybe a comparison here. A hundred years ago, if a guest in some city, say Chicago, were to tell his host that he wanted to attend a Catholic church the host might respond, well, do you want Irish or German or Polish or Italian? Because back then, churches were not simply uh, religious institutions. They were also support centers for recent immigrants who were learning how to adapt to society in in the United States. Uh, Today, however, such uh, ethnic distinctions, I think, have largely uh, diminished uh, with, um, within Roman Catholicism uh, because uniquely American expressions of Catholicism have emerged. And it seems to me that such a change is underway among American Muslims uh, now. Many mosques are still centers of ethnic identity um, uh, and helping recent immigrants to, to, to find their way in this society. But <clears throat> At the same time, the children and the grandchildren of those who arrived shortly after the changes in immigration laws in the 1960s that enabled uh, many, uh, much of our Muslim population in this country to, to, to come here, the, their children, their grandchildren may speak Urdu or Arabic to the older generation, but English is their first language. Ethnic and other identities are beginning to give way to I, what I believe are distinctly American expressions of Islam. Uh, Sunni and Shiri may have been in conflict back home, but here uh, in some communities they worship together because they say, you know, fundamentally the difference between us historically was who should run the, the, the political system in which we are living, and that's not an issue here. So why don't we get together and worship? Uh, there is even uh, intermarriage on uh, uh, Sunni uh, and Shiite uh, one um, one of one uh, person I, I I had the opportunity to get to know described herself. She said, "My my my uh, my uh, mother is Shi'i, my father is Sunni, and I'm Sushi. Um, only in America, perhaps. Huh? <laughs> uh, this is a place where. Um, well, I met with an African American who serves as and who has served as an imam to a largely uh, Bos- Bosnian uh, Mas." Uh, or a mosque, uh, or 
I spoke with an Oklahoma-born convert to Islam who was trained at the great center in Egypt, Al-Azhar. He serves a community of Somali, Hispanic, and African-American Muslims uh, in the northeast of this country. In the past, um, a Pakistani Sufi and a Moroccan legal scholar might have met, if at all, only at the Hajj, only at the pilgrimage uh, in Mecca. But here... They might live side by side. They might worship at the same mosque. So it's a time of rich interaction among Muslims with traditions from all over the world as they seek to respond to what are the unique possibilities and realities of life in the United States. And as a a sympathetic outsider, I felt the excitement of this moment among American Muslims. So I I think it's a tremendously uh, dynamic moment in, uh, uh, in Muslim history uh, right here, socially, uh, uh, spiritually, and intellectually. Um, and, and it was amazing to be, to be in the orbit of, of, of where that is happening. Yeah, and I think that it's, artic- it's articulated well in the book that, you know, in the face of de- depressing and disheartening times, it also opens an avenue for great things to happen and for important conversations to take place. And, you know, on that level, we sort of have to deal with the the cards that are on the table, uh, whether they got there through means that we like or, or don't like. And so you talk about this idea of American expressions of religion. And so in what sense do you think the Quran is an American text and how do you think the, the volume speaks to that? And just as a side note, in my Quran class yesterday, we were talking about Thomas Jefferson's copy of the Quran and how Keith Ellison swore in on it. And so obviously, the Quran has a little-known history in the United States. But So how do you think this, this book plays into this idea of the Quran as an American text? Hmm. Uh, texts, as I said earlier, come alive in communities, uh, communities of interpretation. And I think the, 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 the unique situation that, that exists here, uh, uh, one of my um, uh, conversation partners said, you know, back in his you know, grandparents' country, uh, there, was, um, there was government support for Islamic institutions, However, that came with, um, shall we say, with uh, strings attached. Uh, That came with an expectation of uh, what was okay to criticize and what was not okay to criticize about the social situation that they were in. Uh, He said, uh, you don't have that kind of sponsorship uh, in the same way here in the United States but instead, you have a, a, a different kind of freedom to uh, to explore the, the the layers and layers of meaning within the Quran uh, that um, uh, that might have been impeded back in the uh, in, in the old country. So that was what one of my conversation partners uh, said. The um, I think one thing that the Quran speaks to is the um, uh, the 
Well, the issues that are current within the United States, and those include questions of justice. Uh, those uh, include questions of, of gender justice. It, was, it is uh, I was so fortunate uh, to be able to speak with um, a good number of um, uh, women scholars of, of Islam. Uh, a good number of them would, I, I believe, self-identify, and did so in the book, self-identify as feminist. I know that's a complicated uh, term within the politics of, of Islam itself, but uh, uh, women who were looking at uh, qu- questions of uh, the role of women, who are the women, what gets said about the rights of women, what is implied in the Quran, and I think that uh, responds to, um, to the questions that are alive in this society um, in a different way than they would be uh, elsewhere. And I just have to say it was amazing to be uh, in the presence of such um, uh, such brilliant minds, really, uh, 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 working with, uh, with, with, with questions of, of social justice and gender justice. I think another related to, to, to the, the theme of justice, um, there uh, is a, a vitality of interpretation within the uh, African-American. You have Muslims who came here recently and um, have been Muslim Muslim for centuries and are trying to figure out how to be uh, how to be American. On the other hand, you have um, people who have lived here for for centuries are fully American, even though they didn't come here voluntarily. They came here under the conditions of enslavement. They know very much how to be how to be American because they've done that their whole lives. Um, but uh, their their entrance, or in some cases re-entrance, into the Islamic community has been more recent. And so the um, a number of the African American voices that uh, are are represented in the volume uh, speak about how. They feel uh, that this, uh, how shall I say, just as in the classical period uh, of, of Quranic interpretation, scholars were responding to the issues of their day and making uh, the Quran come alive to the issues of that time, even though the Quran had already been present in the community for, for centuries. Likewise, here there are questions of justice, questions of um, how to be part of a society that that has on the one that, is, that espouses certain ideals and fails to live up to them. Uh, <clears throat> how to uh, how to be a faithful Muslim in that context um, gives rise to new new insights, interpretation that. Uh, um, don't feel imprisoned by the um, by traditional modes of interpretation. They feel enriched by them, but they don't feel limited by them. And so, to see that vitality as well was also very exciting. So, if we could follow up on this idea of 
social context and the issues of the day, as it were. To go back to this question of teaching, this is something that lots, lots of us are, are dealing with in how to teach the Qur'an. And I mentioned earlier that I think the, the book strikes me as inherently focused on pedagogy in terms of its accessibility on the one hand, but also the, the depth and complexity that it explores at the same time. So could you, could you say a little bit have you used, how you've used this book in your teaching and what your, your challenges and successes have been with your students? Certainly. Um, well, I think I'm in a unique situation being the person who put it together. And so uh, it's still pretty new. And so for students, there's that kind of excitement of, um, you know, uh, here's the person who can give us the backstory. Here's the person who can fill in the gaps. So that's, um, that's a unique situation for me. But I think the, the, the book lends itself well to a teaching context. Uh, and, well, first of all, because these are based on conversations. And when people speak, um, sentences tend to be shorter and have beginnings, middles, and endings, uh, and not lots of complicated footnotes. And so on the one hand, there's a, a readability here uh, that, uh, that makes it quite teachable. Although, as you pointed out, there's, uh, there's, th- there are great riches, a great depths of, of sophistication in the, um, in the interpretations that are offered here. Uh, students, my students, responded very positively to these these uh, commentaries. The words feel spoken, as in fact they were. Uh, the speakers are not, uh, on the whole, are not hesitant to be personal. That opens up uh, a kind of sense of connection with it. I think there are some uh, some commentaries that are. Um, a little more complicated than others that require uh, oh some some sifting through together just because they are uh, uh, they they may presuppose a little more familiarity with some content in the Quran or some content with the uh, 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 Jewish and Christian scriptures which is not as uh, which is not to be presupposed. Uh, uh, in, in, in for for the contemporary the, the, the current generation of college students, uh, so so some need need some um, sifting through together. But they my students found it very very enriching. They they wanted to know um, how did I organize the book? Why did I why did I put it in the um, in uh, the particular order that it uh, that it has? And I responded to them that that was, in fact, a very um, exciting challenge for me as um, as uh, as the uh, as the shaper of this volume. Uh, I didn't want to, you know, you can think of lots of bad ways to organize the book. Here are all the people that talk about topic A. Here are all the people that have ethnic background B. Here are all the people uh, and so forth. Here are all the women. Well, that would be a big chunk of the book. Here are all the uh, the progressives, if that word is meaningful. Uh, it's complicated. Uh, and instead, I tried to arrange the book in a way that um, there's not exactly an implied commentary by, by juxtaposition but rather to hear these different voices that, in fact, are, 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 are diverse um, uh, invites readers to, 
to see the 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 breadth of ideas the breadth of religious spiritual ethical understanding that is not only permitted within within islam but in fact celebrated one of my uh, conversation partners in the book said to me that during the the golden period during the classical period of uh, islamic uh, 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 cultural flourishing uh, diversity uh, diverse opinions within the community was uh, treasured as a sign of divine blessing. And to, to tell students that uh, helps them to see that whatever you th- came into the room thinking Islam is, it is broader than that. It is wider than that. And that, I think, itself is a valuable thing to, be, to learn. Sure, and it's impossible, I think, to get any kind of different impression even from reading just a few of the chapters. And so if we could stay on this topic of teaching a little bit longer and organization. So when you, in terms of how you put the the chapters together um, in order, how would you say, did, did you intend that to be the order in which it would be useful to teach the text from beginning to end? Do you have any advice for people that would like to teach the text in terms of how to incorporate selections? Sure. Well, I think it might depend on what else they wanted. This might be part of a a course that has other objectives, and they may want to 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 choose uh, selected portions uh, of the text because there's you know quite a bit going on here in the first uh, uh, two hundred thirty pages, but. Um, uh, I began with, um, in fact, the very first conversation I had um, with Professor Ovemir Anjum uh, because uh, he spoke about the opening surah, the opening uh, uh, verses of the Quran, and that seemed like a wonderful place to begin, but also his commentary on that uh, opens a way of understanding an Islamic perception of uh, what God is like, uh, uh, God's desire to communicate with humankind, um, what the notion of divine mercy is. And mercy as a theme runs through, I think, probably every chapter in this, in this, in this book. Uh, and so that was a wonderful place to begin but um, he also spoke of the text in terms of what was immediately apparent and what was uh, what was not immediately apparent, and so that lent itself to a, a chapter that I called uh, "Knowledge Hidden and Manifest," because uh, a number of of people uh, with whom I met. Uh, for them, this became a, a a theme, and then and for so many traditions, uh, knowledge of God and the nature of knowledge is a wonderful place to begin. How do we know what we know? What is it possible for us to know? And that is related to the the very process itself of reading. I love reading. I love. Uh, reading in company. I love reading about reading. I love reading with readers who have read sacred texts. And so um, I continue with with uh, a chapter I called Close Readings, uh, where people uh, focus very 
intently upon um, uh, 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 some select, a, a select portion of the Quran and 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 show in a way I think um, varieties uh, of methods of reading, uh, which I think kind of sets people up to understand that there can be such a variety of ways of of of, of approaching. Uh, this this the sacred text. Um, I, I continue with um, what I call living tradition, uh, a chapter that looks at again at some traditional ways of understanding the the uh, the sacred text. People who look to the modern world but are very rooted in traditional ways of reading. Um, uh, that seemed to lend itself to. Well, how do you move from within the community, from within its historical uh, self-understanding as a community of readers, how do you move beyond the community? And so uh, there I looked at, uh, uh, or I gathered the voices, shall we say, of those who spoke about uh, themes of encountering others, encountering others outside of, uh, of, the, uh, of the Muslim community. And so you begin to have, uh, in a sense, a transition there that from looking inward to looking outward, and that lends itself, I, I think, to the next uh, chapter, which are people dealing with very contemporary concerns, whether it be violence, whether it be uh, uh, women's rights, whether it be uh, the uh, racial justice, whether it be um, uh, the environment. Um, and then the next chapter completely is, is focused to questions of, of justice. And yet Islam is, is, is always both, like so many religious, religious uh, communities, both inward-looking and outward-looking. So I close with some people uh, who both speak very intently of the, the inward life. Um, who uh, uh, Sufism is one expression of that. <clears throat> within Islam. Uh, but uh, I conclude with people who begin very much with that focus on the inward life and yet uh, gather it with a profound concern for, uh, for, for, for justice, uh, whether that be justice, um, uh, gender justice, social justice, economic justice. And so I conclude there with... Um, um, Another another set of again very warm and very inviting voices that uh, that point to other possibilities for meaning within the uh, the the act of reading this holy text. And I think in each uh, section that you describe too, you you provide a nice introduction to it, explaining the the thematic kinds of issues that the different authors are are looking at, and so. Most of the book is exploring what these authors think, and your conclusion and your introduction are quite brief, but obviously you had a very big hand in terms of thinking about and conceptualizing and arranging this this text and thinking about what the Qur'an means. And I, if I could, I'd like to ask you about the Qur'anic uh, citation that you used to dedicate the volume, and you say, in tranquility love and compassion and could you tell us what what made you want to choose that verse to put at the beginning of the book over the other thousands of options you had to choose from 
<laughs> uh, well, there are two reasons. Uh, one is that it uh, it captured a great deal of my experience of being a guest in the in the community uh, of North American Muslims. I felt that compassion. Uh, I felt that love. I felt that that tranquility. That that yearn. That 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 inward peace uh, because of the depth of the hospitality that I experienced. Um, and so uh, uh, that's one, one reason why it's there. Uh, the, un, the other reason why uh, that verse is, uh, those words from that verse are mentioned there um, is because uh, that's a verse that's talking about uh, human love and marriage. And I dedicated the book to my wife. And so it has uh, a meaning about the book. It also, I think, is uh, self-disclosing about the quality of uh, of, uh, of my own marriage. Well, thanks for sharing your reflections about that. And we've we've taken up plenty of your time today. And before we conclude, I was hoping I could ask you about current or future projects that you're working on in terms of scholarship and whether or not they align with or depart from Quran and conversation. So could you tell us a little bit about these other projects? Sure, I can mention a few things. Um, Much of what I write about, as I mentioned at the beginning, is not uh, about Islam at all. I am uh, trained as a historian of Christianity, and over the last couple of decades, much of my focus, uh, because of where I teach and whom I teach uh, has been focused, uh, much of my focus has, has centered on uh, my own religious community, the Quakers. I've written a number of books uh, about Quaker theology and spirituality. Um, uh, I've just finished a piece where I uh, make a case that um, uh, the uh, the earliest Quaker community Uh, read more than people may have noted in the past because um, uh, I found connections, uh, influences from uh, uh, translations of Jewish Kabbalistic texts among early Quakers. So that for me is lovely because that suggests that kind. You can see my interest in interfaith connections, interfaith uh, understanding. Um, I'm also uh, at work on a manuscript on... um, um, Quaker soundings, if you will, Quaker readings of the um, of the biblical book uh, entitled "The Song of Songs." That's uh, a collection of love poetry in the Bible that has been read uh, and cherished by mystics both within church and synagogue for 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 millennia. And um, I'm looking at uh, how my community has been part of that conversation of interpretation. As far as um, uh, doing more with uh, with Islam, I'm waiting a little bit to see how uh, uh, how the response is to this book within the Muslim community. So far, it has been very positive. I've received many uh, unsolicited uh, 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 kind remarks uh, from Muslims I know and Muslims I don't know about this. Um, I could imagine. Uh, doing something further because it was such a joy to be a guest uh, of the Muslim community and experience their, their, their warmth and hospitality and to witness their intellectual and spiritual vibrancy. Um, um, I don't know if this will go forth or not, but it seems to me 
if this first book has uh, tried to look at something that's mostly misunderstood by by non-Muslims, that is, what is the Quran and how how is it read? It seems to me that another aspect of uh, Islam that is widely misunderstood is um, uh, how the Prophet Muhammad is is understood as a role model within the community. There are many, many ways that Muhammad has been understood over the years. It would be fascinating to to travel and speak within uh, within the uh, American Muslim community and find out what, of the many, many things that that uh, the Prophet Muhammad has meant for uh, Muslims over the centuries. What what dimensions of that particularly address? The, uh, the situation of American Muslims today. I don't know if that will happen or not. I'm going to wait and see, but that would be uh, an exciting thing to do. Uh, another uh, dream project would be uh, to meet with Muslims and not just be a, um, a listener, but to have more of an exchange, uh, perhaps not on uh, scriptural texts, but on other inspiring Texts of spiritual depth, uh, looking at um, uh, well, I'll give you an example. <clears throat> there are two um, in the ni- in the late nineteenth and early twentieth century. There was someone from my community, uh, Rufus Jones, uh, widely read uh, outside of the Quaker community, particularly in the English speaking uh, Protestant community. Um, wrote about the mystical life and wrote very much about how to respond to questions of modernity, uh, how to embrace the insights of contemporary psychology in the religious life, how to engage in justice and and concerns for uh, making society peaceful. He was pretty much a direct contemporary of uh, the great Turkish scholar, uh, Bediuzman uh, Said Nursi, uh, who shared many of those same concerns. It would be wonderful to meet with the scholar of Said Nursi um, have that person teach me about Saeed Norsi. I teach that person about Rufus Jones and what happens between us. Uh, one of the people I met with was a scholar of uh, Khwaja Mir Dard, uh, 18th century uh, person living in the, uh, uh, in the South Asian subcontinent, uh, responding to questions of British colonialism and justice, but also very much a mystic. One of uh, I wrote a book on uh, John Woolman, who was a Quaker mystic abolitionist, social reformer of the 18th century, from a different angle, but also responding with profound questions about uh, human justice, responding to the uh, issues brought about by British colonialism. What kind of exchange could happen there? I think that would be very exciting if that if that could happen, but that would require. Uh, uh, leisure on the part of of uh, not just myself but others and interest in this project. If that if that were to happen, I would find that terribly stimulating. I think so. Those are two ideas, but uh, I'll have to say that five years ago, I would never have imagined doing this project. So I don't know what the what the future holds for me. I'm willing to be guided, and uh, I hope that the uh, the future will be as exciting as as this project was for me. Yeah, well, these all sound like very exciting projects, and certainly from everything I can gather, uh, you seem to be the person or a, a, a person who would be absolutely qualified to undertake these uh, ambitious sorts of things. And 
Thank you so much for sharing your time with us, Professor Burkle. I, I look forward to continuing to assign the book, Crayon Conversation, in my classes and have already had success with that. And I hope our, our listeners can benefit from uh, the strategies that you've discussed pedagogically as well. And thank you so much for sharing your time with us. Well, thank you for inviting me to be your guest. I wish you the best in, in your work as a teacher and a scholar. I wish you much happiness and contentment. And perhaps our paths will cross again. Thank you so much. Look forward to it. Thank you. That was my conversation with Michael Burkle, professor of religion at Earlham College, about his exciting edited volume, Quran in Conversation, published by Baylor University Press in 2014. Thanks for listening.